Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. Let me bring you up to speed. I know that you get tired of hearing these recaps, but this is for people who have not been here. We're talking about a family, Elimelech, his wife, Naomi. They had two sons, Malon and Kilion. They were in Bethlehem and they ran out of food. Bethlehem meaning the house of bread. There was no bread in Bethlehem. 50 miles away in the city of Moab, there was plenty of bread, which makes us think that there probably was some kind of judgment on the city of Bethlehem to begin with. Elimelech decided, Elimelech's name means uh, God will take care of me or my God is, a, is strong or God is a warrior. It has to do with God being good and strong. Elimelech decided that God couldn't take care of him in Bethlehem, and so he decided to move his family to Moab. That was not something that God really wanted to happen. He moved to Moab so that he would not die. He got to Moab and almost immediately died. His two sons, Malon and Kilion, had taken on wives, Moabite women. 
um, something that they probably shouldn't have done in the eyes of God, and soon thereafter, they passed away as well. So now you have Naomi and these two women, Orpah and Ruth, who have lost their husbands. All three of these women have lost their husbands. They're in a land, the two girls are in their homeland, but Naomi is in a land that is not uh, her own. It is a foreign land to her. And uh, she realizes that she needs to go back to Bethlehem, which by now is experiencing the blessing of God again because there is no more famine in Bethlehem. So they go, they make their way back toward Bethlehem, the 50-mile journey, and on the way they have a conversation. In that conversation, Naomi looks at Orpah and Ruth and says, you need to turn back and go back to Moab because those are your people. Go back and let those people take care of you. I'm an old woman. I don't have anything. I can't take care of you. This isn't going to be a good thing for you. You don't need to come. To, to Bethlehem, you need to go back to Moab. Orpah, it says in Scripture, turned, and the way this is put in Scripture makes us know this is a basically a decision about which God she will follow because it says she went back to Moab to her people, and then it says to her God or gods. So she was, she was not going to continue and go on with Naomi and embrace Yahweh, the one true God. She was going to go back to Moab and embrace the, the God Chemosh, which is the one that they worshiped. Ruth, on the other hand, looks at Naomi and says, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Wherever you are, that's where I'm going to be. The God you serve is the God that I will serve. Naomi, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. So Ruth and Naomi continue on to Bethlehem. They get to Bethlehem. The women come up to Naomi. They haven't seen her for well over 10 years, and they say, you know, are you Naomi? Are you the one that that left so long ago with Elimelech and went off to a foreign land? And she said, yes, but don't call me Naomi because Naomi means cutie pie or sweetie pie or something like that, Uh, sweet one. It doesn't, that's what Naomi means. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara meaning bitter or bitter one. And so... Uh, that's really where our story left off the first week or two. Then last week we talked about this idea that Ruth decides to go glean in a field in Bethlehem. She said, maybe someone will find favor on me. Gleaning is this concept, this idea of, it would be like uh, collecting aluminum cans to, for money. It would be, it, gleaning is something that the poor people did. If you had a field and you harvested from the field, uh, you were by God's instruction you were supposed to leave some of that behind so that people could come behind the poor people could come behind and have enough to eat and so that's what Naomi was or that's what Ruth was doing in the field of a guy named Boaz who happened to be a relative of Elimelech who would have been her father-in-law so last week we talked an awful lot about the coincidences of the story of Ruth uh, I, the ser- sermon was entitled last week predictable uh, coincidences Uh, This idea that Ruth just happened to be willing to go glean in a field. She just happened out of all the fields that were out there to to show up on the field of this guy named Boaz, who happens to be a single guy. She happens to be a single uh, young lady. She's out in this field, and she's gleaning, and Boaz happens to roll up in his wheels, you know, and he gets out to expect his field, and he looks out, and he sees Ruth, and he says, oh my, who is that? And, And his young man says, well, that's Ruth, that's the Moabite woman that you've been hearing so much about. And so what we saw last week was Boaz going to great lengths to make sure that she was taken care of, that she was provided for, and you see some of that today. We're going to really look today at one passage of Scripture. The sermon's not real long today, and uh, we're going to look at one passage of Scripture, just a couple of concepts, and then we'll be done. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 13, and that's, just take your Bible, open it up, and we're just going to live in that passage Uh, for the day. We were talking last week about how prayer uh, moves the hand of God, and sometimes prayer changes 
the heart of the one that's praying. As we pray for something, we realize that's why I'm here. You know, you shouldn't just pray for something and say, Lord, help those people. I, I pray that you do something about that. You should, you should acknowledge that the, the providential hand of God, this, this, uh, this, thing, this hand of God is seen sometimes in the way we answer our own prayers uh, through the actions of God's people. Sometimes he works and he does things. Uh, you know, you might say, I'm here. I'm one of God's people. And if I'm going to pray for that, maybe there's something I could do to help that. Maybe there's something that I could do to, to impact what it is that I see going on. Maybe I'm supposed to be the one that answers the prayer that I'm praying. So Boaz is praying, and he says, you know, I pray that God will feed you. I pray uh, that God will take care of you, and Boaz is going to be the one that feeds Ruth. He says, I pray that God will give you a home. It's going to be Boaz that gives her a home. He prays, you know, I pray that God will give you a husband, and I don't want to spoil the story for you, but eventually Boaz is going to be the one who answers that prayer and becomes the husband of Ruth. He says, I pray that God would give you a baby. And he's going to be the one who fathers a baby with Ruth. And so, you know, that would be, for, for him to pray prayers like that and to not necessarily, not, you know, not that you should just have to go marry every woman that you pray will eventually have a, a husband. That's not the point behind it. But, but it would be like me saying, Lord, please provide for my family and my children. And then me not be willing to go to work to provide the things that, that I just prayed for for my kids. I mean, you, you wouldn't do that. If you're going to pray prayers, you need to be ready to answer some of those prayers. Boaz certainly does that. Um, I can't pray those prayers if I'm unwilling to go to work, and it doesn't make sense that, that I would pray like that if I'm not willing to, to go to work. It's my job to put food on the table. Um, on the cross, what is it that Jesus prayed? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And then he died to forgive sin. It's, it's, uh, Boaz prays for Ruth and then answers his prayer. Don't just pray for people, but inasmuch as God would enable you, answer the prayers of the people that you pray for. That's huge. I, mean, I think sometimes we pray and we don't stop, stop and think, you know, God, what would you have me to do? Uh, just something for you to consider. Um, don't, don't pray, God, lead my friend to salvation and then not be willing to talk to your friend about Jesus. I mean, it doesn't make any sense that you would pray, Lord, send somebody that knows the Lord, that has a great relationship with my best friend. I think God would say, well, best friend, why don't you go open your mouth and say something to your best friend about Jesus? Don't just pray that God would give someone comfort who's hurting. Uh, go be the person who sits with that person. Go be the one who spends time with them. We just had a family in our church experience a, a fire, a burnout. And um, I got an email from the family just this week. And um, I, I, I should have gotten permission to read it to you because I think it would have blessed you. But the basic sentiment behind the whole thing was, thank God for our small group. They are in a small group at this church, and because they're in a small group, that small group showed up to help them move things, showed up to see what it was that they needed. Um, this church has responded to them, and, and uh, basically through the small group, and I got an email back that said, you know, between the insurance company and our small group, we've had all of our needs met for now. Uh, there may be something down the road that we can do, and we need to be ready as a church to do that, but, um, you know... It's, it's, it's about more than just praying for people. It's about being willing to be the answer sometimes to our own prayers. And certainly when the small group found out that this family had lost their home, I'm sure they started praying, Lord, help this family. Well, how's God going to help that family? Well, this week he helped that family through a small group at Cross Lane. And then we see Boaz, what he does next is to use an analogy from the Psalms that is just beautiful. He likens Ruth to a little bird who has no nest. And 
and is in danger from the world and, and you know, you know, it's the idea that God would put his wing over and be the protector and the provider and, and so he's brought her close to him and she can be loved and protected. Then we come to chapter uh, 2 of Ruth in verse 13. Uh, verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes. What, what was the request that Ruth had? That God would give her favor in someone's eyes. And then all of a sudden she looks up and here's Boaz. All these coincidental things have happened. You know, she just, out of all these fields, she ends up in Boaz's field and she ends up with uh, Boaz coming by to check on his field at that particular time. And, and he looks out and he sees her. And I think maybe she's looking at Boaz at this point with those big doe eyes, you know, the kind, you know, I, and, and said, may, may I continue to find favor in your eyes my Lord. And you hear that and you go, you know, women hear that and say, oh, please. I mean, she's, come on. I mean, don't, don't. My Lord? Do, I mean, Brett, do we have to say my Lord? I mean, does that, what's up with that whole thing? Um, no, listen to me. Men like that. They, they really, they like that. Um, my Lord meaning my protector, my defender, my provider, my man's man, my dude of dudes, you know, my, my, my Lord. And it doesn't mean that she thinks he's God. That's not what it means. And she's, she's not putting him up on some pedestal that, that makes him, you know, something greater than he is. It's just simply a way for her to look at him and to honor him. Men like that. She calls him my Lord, um, respectable, dignified, provider, protector, defender. These are the kind of things that, that all men want to be to the women in their life. These are the kind, this is the way men want to be viewed. And, and you know, here's, I, here's, I know this is what's going through your mind, women. I know this is what you're thinking because I, I do counseling and I hear this all the time. Well, if he would act like that, maybe I would talk like that. You know what? Maybe he would act like that if you did talk like that. Maybe if you cast a vision for him. Maybe if you, if you were to speak the truth into his life that he needs to hear and release him to be that man. I'm just, I'm just saying it's a possibility. Um, honor your man. And it's not just a Lord, it's my Lord. Like you are my defender, you're my protector, you're my man. You know, ladies, you may think, well, that sounds chauvinistic. Don't mean it in a chauvinistic way. I'm just trying to help you to understand. You want to get into the mind of a man? This is how you get into the mind of a man. Build him up. Encourage him, lift him up, make him know that he is everything to you. Make him know that, that you respect and admire and, and, and really are behind what's going on. Um, you know, she, she's kind of made a connection. There's this little pitter-patter thing going on, I think, maybe in her heart at this point. And, um, you know, she's looking at him and saying, you know, you're my Lord. We're, we're connected now, right? You're, you're kind of taking care of me now a little bit, right? Um, and, you know, I think probably there's a little bit of this going on too, you know. Uh, right, Boaz? I mean, you, you, you like me, right? Uh, my Lord? Um, yeah, there's some definite connection. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant. Boaz isn't some brute or a thug. He's not some, some guy that you know, can't be trusted. He's a man's man. He's a, he, he knows how to treat a woman. He comforts her. He respects her. He cares for her. Um, he's a defender, protector, divider. He's a man who speaks kindly to her. He's an encourager. The second part of verse 13, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls, what's he saying? What's she saying? You know, I, I don't deserve anything. You don't owe me anything. I don't, I don't have the standing that these other girls have. Uh, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't feel like you're obligated to do any of this for me. You know, see, the law stated 
that, that he had to care for widows and orphans. The law stated that, that you know, he had to look out for people like that. Everybody was supposed to do that. Um, he, was, he was expected to give her the chance to glean in his field if that's what she needed to do. Uh, but Boaz went far beyond the law to a point of grace, which is, I think, a lesson for all of us. You know, he's gone way beyond what he, what, what he should have done or could have needed to do to, apl- to do some things that he didn't need to do. Uh, that's really what grace is. If you want an acrostic for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God didn't have to do what he did for us, but out of his grace, he does for us what he does. Um, she, he, he went way beyond what Ruth could have asked for or imagined or prayed for even. Uh, that's just who Boaz is. The question is, why is Boaz doing this? You know, at one point, we, we read in the story, at one point she looks at him and she asks the question, you know, why are you being so nice to me? Why are you doing this? Boaz understands the gospel. You say, well, Brett, gospel, isn't that a kind of a New Testament concept? Isn't the gospel something that we find really in the New Testament? Well, the, the, the New Testament says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. That's what Galatians says. The New Testament says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. The, the gospel is this. The gospel is that you and I are Ruth. The gospel is that you and I don't have what we need. We, we are poor. We, we, we need. We need to be looked out for. We're pagans. We're sinners. We're, we're rebels. We're from the wrong side of the tracks. We, we don't fit in the way we're supposed to fit in. We don't have all the credentials we're supposed to have. We come from the wrong background. We come to the Lord. We're empty-handed. We're needy. We got nothing. And Jesus is Boaz. That's the gospel. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, referred to Jesus as our glorious Boaz. I like that. That's really good. And so as Boaz went to survey his field, so the Lord has come to survey his field, and he finds us. And as, the, as Boaz looked out and he saw Ruth, Jesus looks out, the Lord looks out, and he sees us. As Boaz pursued Ruth, so Jesus pursues us. As Boaz spoke kindly to Ruth, so Jesus has spoken kindly to us. And as Boaz went way past the place of grace, uh, way past the place of the law to the point of grace, so Jesus has gone way past the point of law with us because we are deserving of death. We don't deserve anything that we have as Christians. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't forget, deserve salvation. We don't deserve anything. And yet God has gone way past the point of what we deserve, way past the law to this place of grace and finds us and so to use the words of Ruth we have found favor in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Boaz understands something that we we hear we say it here all the time I, I know I say this a lot that everything that he has has come from God that's one of the things that that we we really try to practice and understand here at this church is is that everything we have is given to us by God. It's really not ours. It's given to us as a gift, and it's given to us to steward. But we, we have an understanding here that, that these things don't belong to us. We, we may say it's our car, but we all understand it's God's car. We may say it's our house. We understand it's God's house. God has provided those things for us. We come to God empty-handed, and because, um, because uh, we have because Boaz had received everything as a gift and he understood that from, from his perspective that God had given to him he was very generous, very kind he was a giver, he was a man of grace 
This is important because the main thrust of the book of Ruth is, is certainly the providence of God. The secondary truth is this, the care of widows and orphans. You see that in the book of Ruth. You also see this concept of finances and material possessions touched on a little bit. Now, before you freak out and think, okay, he's going to turn this into a sermon on giving. I'm not going to turn this into a sermon on giving. Okay, I promise. I just want you to see how, how Boaz, this person of great means, this person that God has blessed, sees his life as not his own. And he sees his possessions as, as those, that those things are just not uh, belonging to him and he sees them as his responsibility. See, one of the things that you have to be careful of and you'll see this a little bit among church folks, is, is this idea of a Robin Hood theology. Robin Hood theology is that rich people are bad and poor people are good. And, and there's basically two kinds of theologies in, in Christianity, really. Uh, one of them is, is prosperity theology that would say this. See, Boaz is rich because he loves God. Because God... Uh, because Boaz loves God, God has made him rich. You can turn on the television this morning across this country and through the week on cable, and you can find all kinds of preachers that will stand up and tell you that if you love God, you will be rich. I'm not going to tell you that. That's a prosperity theology, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that if you love God, you'll be rich, because I can take you and show you all kinds of poor people who love God with their whole heart, and there's no way in the world they're ever going to be wealthy people. Others look at Ruth and they see her and they say, see, she loves God, she's godly, and she's poor. Godly people are poor people. Poor people are closer to God than rich people. You know what? That's a bunch of hooey too. That doesn't make any sense. Let's look at Boaz. Is he rich or poor? Boaz is rich. Is he righteous or unrighteous? Boaz is very righteous. He earns his money fairly. He distributes it evenly. He's a righteous man. He's a good man. He's taking care of people. He's not just good to Ruth. He's good to, I mean, you can tell just by the way he's reading through, and we'll see some more of this next week and the week to come. He's very good to his employees. Then you look at Ruth. Is Ruth rich or is she poor? She's poor. Is she righteous or unrighteous? She's a righteous woman. She's new to the faith, but she's a very righteous woman. Does she have much? No. And what she has, she's going to turn around and she's going to give to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's hardworking. She's honest. She's not poor because she's lazy. She's poor because of circumstances that are a little bit beyond her control. She's doing the best she can. She's trying to make ends meet. She's willing to work hard. She's poor because her husband has died and she's poor because she's an immigrant and she's had to go to a foreign country and figure out a way to make her way in the world. In the Bible, there are two kinds of people described um, there are rich people and poor people. They are described in one of two ways, uh, wealthy or unwealthy, you know, or righteous or unrighteous. You have rich and poor, and you have unrighteous and righteous people. There are unrighteous rich people who sometimes get their wealth by taking advantage of other people. They rip people off. They're not good to people. They're very selfish. They're greedy. And then there are righteous rich people who earn their money honestly and they share it honestly. They share it, they distribute their wealth and they give stuff away. And my experience has been that those kinds of people a lot of times don't even make a big deal out of it. Nobody ever knows what's going on. 
And in the same way, there are two kinds of poor people. There are righteous poor people and unrighteous poor people. Unrighteous poor people are usually poor for a very good reason because they're not disciplined. A lot of times they're not willing to work hard. They've made really bad decisions. A lot of times they're poor people because of sin that's in, that, that they're involved in in their life and that's you know, where they find themselves. They're too lazy to get a job. They squandered what they have by, by doing, making foolish decisions or, or doing foolish things with their money. And sometimes it's just because of sin. They're also righteous poor people who are, you know, first-generation immigrants or they're elderly or sick or some guy that's just working a blue-collar job and he's working as hard as he can. He's got a house full of kids and he's doing the best he can to make all the ends meet and he just doesn't have a lot. He gets up and goes to work every day, behaves himself, good to his family, but he just doesn't make a lot of money. He's got a lot of, lot of needs that he has to meet at home. The issue is not righteous and poor, the issue is righteous and unrighteous. And, you know, it just bends you a little bit when you hear that, that poor equals righteous. No. You know, to, to think that poor people are closer to God than rich people, that's just, that's nonsense. There are some poor people who love the Lord. There are some rich people who love the Lord. Second Corinthians 8, uh, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich was was jesus rich or poor yes <laughs> he, he was both jesus was both rich and poor uh, but he was always righteous always perfectly righteous you say why why are we even why are we even talking about this because you're being rich or you're being poor doesn't have anything to do with how much God loves you. It's really important that you understand that. If you don't have a lot, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. If you've got a lot, it doesn't mean that God has somehow said, you know, I'm going to love you more than somebody else. That's not what it means. We receive salvation as a free gift. Righteousness, salvation, is free to all of us, whether we're rich or poor. Jesus is our glorious Boaz. He gives our life to us. He forgives our sin. He saves us. We might look at Jesus the way Ruth looked at Boaz with the very same question that she had for him. Why are you being so nice to me? Why, why would you do that? Why would you give to me the way you've given to me and the way you continue to give to me? I, you know, Jesus would easily be able to say, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you going to the cross. You don't deserve me dying on a cross for you. There's no, there's no reason why I would do that, but I love you. That's who I am. I am, I am a, a God who loves you, and I want to give to you. I want to do this. You and I have a great opportunity uh, just about every day to be like Boaz, to love people. And, and sometimes loving people includes giving them money, uh, giving them food, uh, helping them. Um, you know, when we share and we're generous and we give, particularly to the poor, particularly to the needy, when we, when we do that, we may be doing the same thing as those who are not Christians because, you know, Christians aren't the only ones who give their money away. and Christians aren't the only ones who give away their possessions and take care of other people. Plenty of people who, who do that that aren't believers. They might do it for entirely different reasons. But I, I do it, and hopefully you do it, not so that God will love you more, not so that God will, you know, I've heard preachers say, you know, if you give more, then God wants to bless you, and so you should give more so that God will bless you more. Well, you know, I think that is a principle. 
I think that as you give, God blesses you. I think, I think if God looks at someone and says, okay, I got two people here, and this one is going to be a blesser. This one's going to take their possessions, their money, their resources, and they're going to bless other people with it. And this person over here is going to take what they get, and they're going to hoard it. If I want to bless people and I'm God, which person do I give the money to? I'm going to give it to the one who's going to be a blessing to other people. So it's a concept and a principle we've talked about a lot around here. But we give not so we can earn points. We, we give and we share and we're good to other people, not so that God will love us more. That's not the point. But we give because we have an understanding that Boaz had, what I have is not mine. What I have has been given to me by God, and it's been given to me for a reason, and the reason isn't just so I can hoard it all up. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to other people. God gives, Boaz understood, God has given some for me, and God has given some to me so that I can share uh, with the people who are around me. Boaz understands that in the words of uh, what we would learn later in Corinthians, the words of the Corinthian letter, uh, that God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't, he doesn't get, look at what he has and say, you know, why, why should I have to give any of what I have away to the poor? That's not his question. He, he's, he doesn't look at it and say, you know, all this is mine, and, you know, why should I care about anybody else? It's not the way he looks at it. He says, you know, this field isn't even mine. This field that I have belongs to God, and because it belongs to God, I'm going to share with the people who have needs. Why would God give to us to share? Because the providential hand of God often works through his people. God uses us not just to pray for people. That's not the, you know, God wants more out of us than just that we would pray for people, but to care for them, to give them food and water, shelter, and to make sure that they're taken care of and they have their needs met. The kind of things that you see all throughout the book of Ruth. And then when someone asks you, you know, why, why are you being so nice to me? The same question that Ruth asked Boaz, the answer is because it's the gospel. Because God's been good to me. Because I'm a sinner. Because I don't deserve it. Because before I came into contact with Jesus, I was dead in my sin and didn't have a chance on earth of heaven. Because God has looked past uh, all of my junk and my filth and, and all of my disqualified life and he has said I love you and I'm willing to die for you and I'm willing to care for you because God sees you and God knows you and God pursues a relationship with you and with me no one owes poor people anything but we want to take care of poor people we want to take care of those who don't have because we want to be like Jesus who was like Boaz. Jesus is our glorious Boaz. That's grace. That's mercy. That's compassion. That's favor. That is, that's Jesus is what that is. In this room, we're, we're all over the map in terms of what we make and what we have, and, and uh, some of us have much, some of us have little, but we can all be generous, not because we have to, but because we get to. It's a big difference. Not, not because... It's expected, not because we, you know, we've got some feelers out and we know who's been the generous ones and who hasn't been generous. It's not anything like that. Not because anybody expects you to. Be generous because you have the opportunity to. God is a cheerful giver, and he gives some to us so that we can share. And so that we can share in the joy of giving. It happens in this church all the time. 
We've, we've got Boaz all over this church. We have people all over this church who understand that the things I have in my hands are things that God has given to me. I, I got to tell you, you know, two weeks ago we put out this appeal. And, and the way you responded, I mean, I, I wasn't really surprised, but <laughs> no kidding. The staff and I, we kept going out into the lobby because the lobby just kept getting fuller and fuller, full of stuff. And people kept coming in and handing us money for, for families. And you need to know that we've been able to find needy families and that everything you've given is, has either been given to a family, the money has been used to, to help needy families or soon will be. But this church is full of people who have looked at what they have and they've said this because they get the principle. I have what I have, not because God loves me more than anybody else, but because God wants me to be a blessing. And God's providential hand is going to be using me to be a blessing to somebody else. This church is full of Boaz, full of it. That, that we, we should, you know, and I, don't know if, I don't know that you can do this well or right in the eyes of God. The word pride, I don't ever really know how to use the word pride in a good context. We need to come up with a different word for pride than pride. But you need to take pride in, in, in your church in that it is a church that wants to be a blessing. You know, we, we take offerings and we do stuff with money. It's not so that we can be some big, huge church with a ton of money. That is not the goal of this church. The goal of this church is to have its fingers into its community to be able to make a difference in the lives of people so that you can see more and more what happened before we started preaching this morning, which is we see people coming to Christ. Jesus, our glorious Boaz, found us where we are, worthless, <laughs> undeserving. We don't deserve what Jesus did for us. No way in the world. No way in the world would we qualify for heaven in our own right. The beautiful thing about Scripture to me is when it's when it Romans, it talks about that we will have the righteousness. It is the gift of righteousness, and it is not ours. The righteousness is that of Jesus. That when God looks at you, if you're a Christian, when God looks at you, he does not see your sin, and he does not see your failure, and he doesn't see all the mess in your life. When God looks at you, what he sees, and you need to really lock into me right now, because I think that there are a lot of adults who don't understand this, what I'm about to say. When God looks at you and you're a believer, what he sees is the righteousness of Christ all over you. He sees you pure. He sees you holy. You may not see yourself as pure and holy, but that's how God sees you because you have the righteousness of Christ all over you. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never become a Christ follower, then you can't say that. You want to know what forgiveness is? You want to know what a clean slate is? Kyle gets up here and talks about freedom in Christ. You want to know what that is? Come to Christ. Experience the righteousness of Christ, knowing that you're never, not one day in your whole life, going to live your life in such a way that you are perfect. You're never going to go through one day and not sin. It's never going to happen. But at the end of every day when you're done, no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how bad it's been, no matter how hard you've tried and failed, God is going to look at you and he's going to see on you the righteousness of Christ. I'm telling you, that is worth the price of admission. That is why you give your life to Christ. Because at the end of your life and you stand before God, what he's going to see is not some person that failed miserably and just really doesn't deserve heaven. What he's going to see is the righteousness of Christ. And he's going to say, you're mine, come in. That's what we want. That's the kind of church you're in this morning. It's what we believe in. 
So if you've never given your life to Christ, this morning is your morning. We're going to pray and then we'll stand and sing. If you've never done that, if you've never joined, uh, joined the body of Christ, given your life to Christ, accepted forgiveness, that can be yours this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do see Jesus as our glorious Boaz who was kind to us for no reason other than that he loved us. And he was incredibly wealthy because he was in heaven with you. And Philippians is very clear that he gave all that up. He became humble. He came to earth. He identified with us. And ultimately, he died for us. And Father, in that death, he purchased for us salvation. In that death, he... he made a way for us to be able to get to you because the way had really been sealed off because Father we are not perfect Romans is very clear all have sinned fall short of the glory of God Father we saw some people being baptized this morning I pray that that has been an inspiration to some I pray that we never forget that that's what this church is about that's what we pray for it's what we give to that's what we work for not so that we can be some awesome church but because you're an awesome God and we love you so God we come to you this morning like Ruth we got nothing we're from the wrong side of the tracks we're, we're in our worst peasant dress we've got mud all over our face and yet somehow you look at us and you love us and you want to be good to us and you want to bless us and you want to take care of us so Lord we just right where we are problems and all, we just lift it all up to you and say, we are yours. Father, thank you for this story and the lessons that we're learning. And in it, we can see your hand and in it, we can see your love. And we just say, thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.